This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, here's what's happening at Right From The Deep. Thanks, as always, to all our patrons on Patreon. You folks help make this podcast possible. And if anybody else wants to add their support, feel free. Visit patreon.com forward slash writefromthedeep. We'd sure appreciate it. We would. And a special thanks to our October sponsor of the month, Tammy Partlow. Yay, Tammy. She is a speaker at Women's Retreats and her debut novel, which we both, Karen and I, love the title of Blood Beneath the Pines, is a suspense set in the Deep South, and it is now available. She's hard at work on the next book in the series, and we'll have links in the show notes. And it's my turn for the wonder. I have tomatoes, guys. <laughs> I've, I've gardened for a lot of years, and I gardened the whole time that we were at our beautiful home in Center Point down in Oregon. And I got to tell you, I tried every stinking year to grow tomatoes, and it never worked. I, I maybe got one tomato out of all the I planted all different varieties. It just never worked. So we get here to Washington, and I bought two really sad-looking tomato plants because I figured I'm not spending money on brand-new tomato plants when, obviously, I can't grow tomatoes. And I planted them, and I fertilized them, and I've got tomatoes coming out my ears. They, they just are growing like crazy. And so I bought one more that looked dead, and I planted it, and it's growing. It's so amazing. It just reminds me how we may think something in our life is dead and dried up and will never grow, but God's ready. As soon as we put it in the right kind of pot, give it the right kind of soil and fertilizer, God's ready to grow it in ways we never imagined. So I'll be thinking of all of you when I have a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. <laughs> and here's something that's sort of a wonder and a thanks. Thank you so much to Mike. Shout out to him. And he's, hey, at, yes, he's at Podcast PS, and he is our fabulous sound editor. And again, that's a wonder because Mike is a wonder. He's a genius, y'all. And we are so thankful for him. And now... Here's the show! Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Deep with us. We're glad you're here. As Christian writers, most of us would wholeheartedly agree that the deeper our relationship with God grows, the more at peace and on target we'll be as we live and write within God's will for us. No matter the path, no matter the difficulty, we can remain steadfast and purposeful in seasons of plenty and in seasons of hardship. But the catch, of course, is in how exactly we are to deepen and maintain our relationship with God. I mean, as much as we might want to, few of us can say that we've arrived at our best and deepest relationship with Him. It's a process and sometimes a very difficult one, but it just so happens that there's a biblical model for spiritual growth and development, for building and deepening our relationship with Him, and Jesus Himself modeled it for us, as He did the apostles in the Bible. Few of us faithfully follow in the footsteps of our spiritual models. I don't know why that is. 
we don't truly do the things they did. And what are these things? We're glad you asked, because <laughs> we're going to be talking about them in various upcoming episodes over the next few months or so. You've probably already heard of these things, actually, these practices. Now, some people call them spiritual disciplines, but let's not think of them that way, because they're not disciplines like for discipline's sake, okay? We're not doing hard things to make ourselves spiritual. These are activities. They're practices that are all about spiritual growth. They're about tightening our connection to God and blossoming in our conformity to Christ and in our role as his witnesses. So today we're going to focus on the practice or um, let's call it the relationship building activity of solitude. Okay, that might sound a little crazy. How can solitude build a relationship? But what we mean to say when we say solitude in this context is simply the practice of withdrawing from human-to-human -human interaction to focus on God, to listen for Him, to listen to Him, and to talk with Him. And by solitude, we also mean taking a break from the onslaught of this world and all the opinions and values and agendas that perpetually bombard us is to get away from wondering like, hey, you know, is what we're saying or thinking going to be liked on social media? So what we're talking about is not just being physically alone, you know, being someplace where no one else is, but also consciously isolating our minds from the input of other people, from what they'd say or think, a place where you're separated from human companionship, attention, and influence, where you're fully available and in God's presence. Right, and I know that there are extroverts like, oh, Karen, waving at her, <laughs> extroverts out there for whom being cut off from people might feel awful. And there are introverts like me who are like thinking, hey, bring it on, I'm fine, I don't need people. <laughs> but we'd all be missing the point because we'd be focusing on how this practice makes us feel rather than on the purpose and usefulness of this activity. So let's talk for a few minutes about what this activity of solitude is and isn't. First, it isn't the same as loneliness. There's an article in Psychology Today that talks about the difference between loneliness and solitude. It says, quote, loneliness is harsh punishment, a deficiency state, a state of discontent marked by a sense of estrangement and awareness of excess aloneness, unquote. Well, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. um, solitude, the article says, is, quote, the state of being alone without being lonely. It's a positive and constructive state of engagement within oneself. Unquote. I like that. See, solitude is meant to be a constructive state, which means it's good for something. And one of those things they say it's good for is engagement with oneself. And yes, we've mentioned that a main purpose for solitude is to help us engage and listen to God. It's also important to engage and listen to ourselves. If you've ever been in a really noisy environment, you might have used the expression, it's so loud in here, I can't hear myself think. Well, our world is often so loud that we can't hear ourselves think. And if we can't think, we can't truly know ourselves. And if we don't know ourselves, how can we be truly authentic in our relationship with God? How do we know what we think about what He's saying to us and about who He is? Yeah, now, Inauthenticity doesn't necessarily mean we're like trying to lie or misrepresent ourselves to God like that won't work when we're dealing with an all-knowing God anyway. But 
we're saying that there's a barrier in our communication loop with God if we don't know ourselves. We cannot have deep relationships without authenticity. And that may be one reason why the idea of solitude can be uncomfortable for some. It means we have to be vulnerable first with ourselves. We're dropping our mask and taking a good look at who we are and what we think. And, you know, way too many of us do everything we can to avoid doing that. Because what if we don't like what we see? Right. And sometimes that's actually good. It helps us see where we need to make changes to move toward becoming the kind of person we would like when we take a close look. Sometimes, though, not liking what we see isn't good because it isn't an accurate picture. When we're letting God into that place with us, we're completely vulnerable and exposed. We can let him tell us what he sees. We can let him show us the truth of how he sees us. And that truth is always delivered with a profound, unconditional, unchangeable love, the kind of love that heals and builds us up for the word God has tasked us with. Right. So basically, one of the wonderful benefits of solitude is that we learn to know ourselves. We get a more accurate view of who we truly are and aren't, and that can help us become better people. And, you know, we're not saying that all this is easy. Our world today makes it much easier to live in a state of distraction and disconnection. That's that's how we live. And that state, it doesn't demand anything from us. Reconnection does demand things from us. We pretty much need to force ourselves, I think, sometimes to reconnect with our thoughts and our feelings. And it's hard, but the rewards are great. Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac once said, there are three things that are extremely hard, steel, a diamond, and to know oneself. So we're not saying it's going to be easy. But another benefit of solitude is that by giving us distance from our society, we're better able to identify and break any destructive patterns of thought that we may have fallen into through our immersion in our culture. As much as we think that we can be distant and stand away from the way that the culture thinks, we are impacted and influenced by whatever we take into our minds and our hearts and our spirits. Every ad on social media, television, in print, on buses and billboards, right. everything screaming at us has an agenda, a perspective. That's the whole point of marketing is to have an agenda. So do the movies we watch, the novels we read, the streaming services we binge. And more often than not, this agenda is not in agreement with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not in agreement with the biblical revelation of who God is and the truth of how we are to live as Christ's followers. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, the realities of heaven, guys, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So it's, it's just common sense. We need a break. We need a break and time to pull away and recenter and make sure our hearts and minds are fixed on God, not on this world. Right. Another benefit of solitude is that it gives you the opportunity for deeper reading and more than that, for reflecting 
and what you read. Imagine if you took time in solitude with no distractions to read your Bible more deeply and to spend time just thinking about it. Like, what might the Holy Spirit say to you or do in you if you wait for Him, if you sit quietly and ponder the implications of everything you're reading? Like, how much more grounded could you be in God's truth? You could also read other things in your practice of solitude, inspirational biographies, theology, poems, whatever can help you develop your thoughts and beliefs and reasoning skills. We've lost so much of the reasoning skills nowadays. The technology in our fast-paced world pushes us into shallow thinking, make fast decisions, do this, do that. Don't take the time to think it through or reason. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but you can train yourself to be a person who's characterized by thought and reflection rather than someone who might spout off quick reactionary responses that today's social media constantly tempts us to do. Another activity you might do in solitude is singing worship songs. Guess what? Solitude need not be all carried out in silence. You can sing as loud as you want if no one else is around to overhear you, which is nice because, you know, if you're like me and you can't carry a tune worth beans, you don't need people listening in. But the Bible encourages us to sing to the Lord, so we should. And not just to sing, but to sing new songs, like you can make them up on the spot, about whatever you're thinking and feeling. You can let your creativity come out. We're creative people made in the image of our Creator. We can honor Him when we use our creativity to express ourselves in worship. You know, one of the nicest things about solitude for me is the opportunity to get out alone and experience the wonder of God's creativity and His design in nature, to immerse ourselves in it. Romans 1, 19 through 20 tells us that what can be known about God is plain to us because God has made it plain. Quote, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. God intends for us to see his fingerprints in nature, but we have to take the time to do it, to get out and soak ourselves in it and let the heavens declare God's glory to us. Psalm 96, 11 and 12 says, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea and everything in it shout his praise, let the fields and their crops burst out with joy, let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Oh, guys, take the time to go out and listen to all of this wonder, this praise. Solitude also can give you the opportunity to foster creative growth. It gives you time with your creator where he can speak new ideas and inspirations to you. I know a number of writers who love the beach and they just make time to go out and walk along the beach and spend that time with God so that just like the shells wash up on the shore, new ideas, new inspirations, new insights can wash up in their minds and their spirits. You know, solitude gives you time and space for your brain to consider new creative connections and explore new ways to solve problems. It can also give you an opportunity to go experience other forms of art, like go to uh, maybe a local gallery or an exhibit. But don't just wander through. Take the time to sit and ponder the works, or maybe just one piece. How does it speak to the human condition, or what does it imply to God? Let yourself think on those things. 
or listen to some new music, something you haven't ever heard, something that's different. Let it speak to you. How does it inform or enhance your own creativity? What can it inspire in you? So these have been just some of the ways solitude can grow and refine you. But let's talk now about putting this practice, this activity, into practice. Let's be practical with the practice. <laughs> so first, solitude is going to require planning, especially if you don't live alone and you have family responsibilities. Solitude can be nearly impossible to come by. I remember the days of having preschoolers at home. My goodness, I couldn't even go to the restroom by myself. So you have to make a plan for when you can get away for solitude, and that's going to require a few conversations and the cooperation of your family probably your friends too. You'll want to talk this over with them and be sensitive to those who may not understand why you need solitude, who may even be hurt or offended. You also need a plan for where you're going to go. Where will you find a place to be alone? You want to plan ahead so you're not wasting your solitude time looking for a place to be alone. Yeah, and it might be as simple as sitting in the car in your garage or sitting on your back porch. It might be a walk or a drive to someplace specific. Get a plan get it on your schedule, and make it happen. Otherwise, it won't happen. And of course, the next thing you need for solitude is time. Time is a precious commodity. We can never get more of it, and we can never get it back once it's gone. There's always only 24 hours in a day. But I hope this podcast helps you see why solitude matters, why it deserves some of our precious time. We need this break. Deep inside of us, in our spirit, we need this break. In Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he calls solitude one of the most fundamental disciplines for spiritual development. Think about that. One of the most fundamental disciplines for spiritual development. Even if all you can manage is half an hour, once a month, that's a great start. And hopefully, as the seasons in your life change, you'll be able to set aside more time in the future. And the last requirement we want to talk about is commitment. For some of us, solitude will be at first awkward and uncomfortable. We may find it hard to begin or hard to sustain and hard to continue with. But we encourage you to make solitude a true commitment. Again, in Dallas Willard's book, he says about solitude that it must be returned to again and again as the spiritual life develops. In other words, it is not a one and done. It's a continuing practice that helps shape us, that helps us grow in our likeness to Christ and makes us better able to avoid conforming to the patterns of this world. And you know, that's the goal of all the disciplines or activities we'll be talking about in this series. We are meant to be in the world, but not of it. We need these God-given activities to help us do that, to train us, to foster our growth and our connection to the God who has called us to be his own. And it's worth it. It's so worth it to be his witnesses in a hurting, weary world. We need to take the time to do these activities and draw closer to him. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at rightfromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Mm -hmm.